Could you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 23? Luke chapter 23, and we'll read from verse 13. Luke chapter 23 and verse 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Amen. Now, you may be interested to know that uh, we've reached our hundredth sermon. This is the hundredth sermon in the Gospel of Luke, and I only hope that you have got as much out of that 50, maybe 55 hours of preaching that uh, that I have received in preparing for it. I've so enjoyed this study. Luke is a little different than the other Gospels. He, he has a unique slant on it, and I certainly have enjoyed preaching from it. You'll remember from our last study, Jesus faced six trials uh, in all. He, first of all, uh, was brought to Annas, who was the former high priest and the father-in-law of the present high priest. And although Annas had been removed from office at the insistence of the Romans. He was still the power behind the throne and nothing, absolutely nothing, happened without his permission. He was then brought to Caiaphas, the son-in-law of Annas and the official high priest. Then the whole Sanhedrin met these 72 men that made up the Jewish ruling council and Jesus stood trial before him. From there he was taken to Pilate the governor uh, Pilate then sent him to Herod, who happened to be in Jerusalem for the Passover, and then Herod sent him back to Pilate for sentencing. So six trials in all, three before the Jews and three before the Romans. Before the Jews, he was charged with blasphemy, and before the Romans, he was charged with treason. And because the Jews had lost the right to uh, exercise capital punishment, it is on the charge of treason that he is put to death. And so the notice that was nailed above the cross to indicate the crime read, this is the king of the Jews. In other word, words, he claimed to be king and is guilty of treason. Now this morning in our studies, we come to the last of those trials, to the section where Jesus, for the final time, stands before Pilate and is sentenced to death. I want you to notice, uh, first of all, the innocence of Jesus. As I said, when the Jewish leaders brought Jesus to Pilate, they charged him with sedition and treason. When he first appeared before Pilate, Pilate had legally and formally acquitted him. If you remember back in verse 4, then Pilate said to the chief priests 
and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Pilate had investigated thoroughly, interrogated Jesus personally, and his conclusion was that there was no charge to answer. And as we noticed in our last study, verse 4 is the official legal language of a Roman court. I find no guilt in this man. He is acquitted. Pilate formally acquits him, but nevertheless uh, lets the trial proceed by sending him on to Herod. When he is brought back to Pilate, on three further occasions, Pilate declares his innocence. In verse 14, in verse 20, and in verse 22. Verse 14, Behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of the charges against him. Verse 20, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. And then for the third time, in verse 22, a third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. Four times, four times, Pilate declares his innocence. In fact, in verse 15, Pilate states that Herod also found nothing in him that was worthy of death. The Roman and Galilean governors are agreed that Jesus is innocent, that he is no threat uh, uh, to society as the Sanhedrin had alleged. He is not guilty. Pilate, on four occasions, five when you put the other gospel accounts together, um, declares him not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And what he should have said and what he should have done is release the prisoner. And to me, that declaration of Pilate as to the innocence of Jesus is very significant. He condemned an innocent man to death. But he just wasn't innocent of the crimes that they charged him with, the crime of treason. He was innocent of all charges that they brought him, uh, brought against him and accused him of. He was, in the words of Hebrews 7 and verse 26, wholly innocent and unstained, or as the authorized version says, wholly innocent and undefiled. Uh, that couldn't be said about anyone else born into this world because everyone else born into this world has been tainted by sin in some way, has inherited a sinful nature from Adam, and has this predisposition to sin. All we like sheep have gone astray, the Bible says. Each of us has turned to his own way. But although he was tempted in every way, just as we are, he was without sin. So at the outside of his ministry, the Father declares from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And at the close of his ministry, on the day of his death, a pagan Roman governor declares, I find in him no guilt. He was wholly blameless and undefiled. And the fact that the Jews couldn't see that tells us more about them than it does about Jesus. They couldn't see what a pagan politician from Rome could see. I was reading about this American who uh, uh, was visiting the, the Louvre in France and decided he would go and see the Mona Lisa. And as he stood with the crowd looking at that painting, he was heard to say, I can't see what all the fuss is about. 
to which uh, uh, one of the security guards standing nearby who spoke perfect English replied, that says more about you than the painting. And for these Jewish leaders, with all their privilege, to fail to see what a pagan Roman governor could see uh, says more about their spiritual condition and their spiritual blindness than it does about Pilate. The innocence of Jesus. The second thing I want you to notice is the weakness of Pilate. Now we've noticed that on least four occasions, Pilate declared Jesus innocent of all charges. Notice verse 20, desiring to release Jesus. He desired to release Jesus. His desire presumably was out of noble intentions and noble purposes. He wanted to set Jesus free, but he didn't. He capitulated and allowed himself to be pressurized into making a bad decision and passing the wrong verdict. Now, why did this man, who we know from history was a strong and forceful character, why would he allow himself to be pressurized into making that decision and sentencing an innocent man to death? Filio, the Jewish uh, Greek writers says that Pilate was a man of courage, a man of character, a man of conviction, a man uh, who was an arbitrary tyrant. Why would a man like that capitulate to the Jews and allow an innocent man to be crucified? Well, I think because of selfish ambition and self-preservation. Selfish ambition and self-preservation. It came down to self. It helps us if we know a little bit of the background to what was going on here. Pilate was the fifth or perhaps the sixth Roman governor of Judea. And he ruled from A.D. 26 uh, to A.D. 36. Now when he arrived to take up his position uh, in Judea, he made three great political blunders that haunted him. Roman soldiers um, carried standards that had a little eagle on top of them, and on top of the eagle was the bust, was the head of the emperor. And because of the sensitivities of the Jews, all previous governors had removed that little bust, that little head, when they marched into Jerusalem. But Pilate, when he came into Jerusalem, he insisted on keeping that little figure at the top of the Roman standards. When he returned to the Roman capital, which was Caesarea Philippi, the Roman capital for that region, a crowd of 5,000 Jews followed him back, um, hurling insults at him and harassing him for five days. Eventually, Pilate got so fed up that he invited them all into the amphitheater and then uh, he told them that unless they dispersed and went home, he would cut off their heads and he would slaughter them. And all the Jews knelt down, bared their necks and said, cut off our heads. And Pilate capitulated and removed the bus, the heads from the Roman standards and allowed the Jews to keep their heads. The second incident concerned the building of a viaduct to bring water into Jerusalem. Pilate plundered the temple treasury and took the offerings out of the temple, which remember were considered koban, that they had been given for 
the work of God and for the worship of God. And he used that money to build the viaduct. And the people rioted and Pilate sent his soldiers into the crowd. And many Jewish people were clubbed and stabbed to death. And then in the final incident, Pilate put shields up on Herod's temple with an an image of the emperor on those shields. But Herod's temple was right next door to the temple. Pilate refused to remove them. So the people appealed directly to Caesar, who ordered Pilate to take them down and put them up in a pagan temple. Now, in baseball, you have that rule, three strikes and you're right. And there was no such rule in Rome, but under imperial justice, any province in the Roman Empire had the right to appeal to Caesar himself for the mismanagement of the, uh, uh, of the uh, governor. Pilate already had see three such grievances lodged against him. How long would Pilate tolerate him? Look at verse 23. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be condemned. Matthew tells us they were on the point of rioting. And Paul says that the leaders used this political instability to their advantage, for they said to Pilate, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Pilate, out of political interest, self-interest, and selfish ambition, capitulates in order to protect himself. He was a weak man. He allowed himself to be pressurized, to be blackmailed into doing something that was wrong. And there are many people like him. People who surrender conviction through personal reputation, personal ambition, or political self-survival. I think of Tim Farron, the leader of the Democrat, uh, Liberal Democrats, who was and is a professing Christian. But you remember when he was leader of the uh, Liberal Democrats, he had made a statement about the LGBTIAQ, whatever that is, uh, and, and he came under tremendous pressure, and he stepped back. He compromised. Uh, he capitulated. A compromise that he later apologized for and repented of. But he capitulated nevertheless because of the the pressure that was put upon him. I think of uh, Katy Perry, who was uh, brought up in a Christian home. Her mother and father were both Pentecostal pastors. And and, uh, uh, she started off her career as a gospel singer. And, uh, And then in this documentary that I was watching, they... They interviewed her brother and they asked him, how did her parents feel when she brought out that song, I kissed a girl and I liked it? To which he replied, well, they were very upset until the money started rolling in. They were very upset until the money started rolling in. We need to be careful that we don't sacrifice our convictions on the altar of expediency, on trying to feel accepted. You know, when you're in the the tea room at work and the conversation comes round to those great moral and ethical issues of, of our day, and you either keep quiet or you pander or you soft pedal your answer. 
That was Pilate, the weakness of Pilate. The innocence of Jesus, the weakness of Pilate. Thirdly, notice the release of Barabbas. Look at verses 18 and 19. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Now, Luke condenses this material for us. The other Gospels fill in the details for us. We know from the other Gospels that a tradition had arisen uh, within uh, Jerusalem that during Passover, the governor would release a prisoner as a goodwill gesture to the people. Now, it wasn't any prisoner. They weren't free to choose. He chose two, and they, out of the two, had to choose one. So in a desperate attempt to release Jesus, Pilate chooses the worst that he could find. Matthew tells us he was a notorious prisoner. We've got to put out of our heads this idea that Barabbas was a kind of Robin Hood character undermining Roman rule. Yes, he was an insurrectionist. He was a zealot seeking to liberate Judea from Rome, but he was a murderer. And significantly, I think according to uh, John 18, he was a, a thief. So it wasn't just, he wasn't just a politically motivated criminal. Uh, he was up to a lot more. The fact that Pilate chose him as the alternative to Jesus indicates that he was the lowest of the low, even in the estimation of the Jews. A common criminal who had got himself up, caught up in a plot to overthrow Rome. We might say today he was a paramilitary with a tinge of political um, uh, ambition, but at the same time drawn into an underworld of crime. So here is this man presented to the crowd as an alternative to Jesus. In all likelihood, Pilate had been his judge and sentenced him to death. And it may be that the center cross on which Jesus was ultimately crucified was a cross that was intended for Barabbas, who was the ringleader of the other two men who were crucified with Jesus. You remember, those that were crucified with Jesus were also thieves, murderers, and insurrectionists. So here we have two men. One is accused of a crime and is completely innocent, and yet he dies on a Roman cross. The other is guilty of the most horrendous crimes, and yet is released and set free. The irony is that Barabbas was actually guilty of the sedition that they accused Jesus of. One is guilty and set free, and the other is innocent and yet executed. In fact, the the guilty one is set free because the innocent one dies. In that incident, we have what one commentator calls a prophetic dramatization of the gospel. That here you have two men, two individuals, a guilty man and an innocent man. Both are charged with the crime of sedition, But because the innocent man dies, the guilty man is set free. And that is the kernel, the nub, the heart of the gospel. We are guilty. We deserve nothing but death and damnation. But another has died in our place. In the death of Jesus and the release of Barabbas, we have a wonderful illustration of the doctrine of substitution. 
I want you to imagine for a moment that you're Barabbas. I want you to put yourself into his shoes or into his sandals. You didn't consider yourself to be a bad lad. Uh, you just got caught up with the wrong crowd and, uh, and made a few bad decisions. But as you matured, you find yourself drawn into petty crime. And then the things that bothered your conscience once, you find no longer bother your conscience. So you're led into this underworld of, of, of crime and depravity. Soon you're stealing and identifying yourself with the worst in society. You hear of an insurrection that is planned in the first day of the Passover and you find yourself getting caught up in the passion of the moment and the nationalism that always surrounded the Passover celebration. In the madness of the moment, you pull out a dagger and you stab a Roman soldier and he dies instantly. Immediately you're arrested and you're thrown in prison and the soldiers brutalize you because um, that you have killed one of their colleagues. That night you're brought before Pilate, the most important man in the whole region. And all your bravado melts and all your cockiness disappears as you stand before the man who has your life in his hands in a moment without a hint of compassion. He sentences you to death by crucifixion and you are led away to wait until morning. I don't suppose you would have slept much that night. You would have been agitated, unsettled, tossing and turning, going over things in your mind, wondering how you ever got yourself into such a mess. Early in the morning, you can hear the cutting of the wood and the, the hammering as the soldiers get the cross ready because it was the custom that you would carry your own cross to the place of crucifixion. Every time you hear a noise outside your, your door, you wonder if this is the moment. Are they, are they coming for you? You imagine how it will be, how it will feel to have nails hammered into your hands and then on those bloody wounds to have that crossbar hoisted up that upright pole causing excruciating uh, waves of pain to rush through your body. How long will it take to die? Will my mother be there? Will my father be there? Will they see uh, my agony and will I see disappointment in their faces. You're sweating. Your heart is racing. Times you're sobbing. Suddenly your thoughts are interrupted. You hear the heavy footfall of the Roman soldiers and the prison guards coming up the cobblestone corridor. You're no, you know they're coming for you. This, this is it. This is the moment of your death, the day of your death. You hear the bolt being drawn back in the door and the, the huge wooden prison door being swung open on its hinges. What, what should you do? Should you run and hide and try and blend in with the other prisoners? Should you rush the guards and make an attempt to escape? Should you just uh, uh, quiver and go into the fetal position? You're shaking with fear. Your mistakes of the past flood into your mind. Why have I been so foolish? How did I get caught up in this? How did this happen? And the soldier cries out, calls out, Barabbas! And you know it's for you that they've come. Barabbas! You're paralyzed with fear. You can hardly answer, but you identify yourself. Barabbas! You're free. You're free. You can go free. Free? Free? 
They have chosen a man to die in your place. What a relief. What a joy. What a, what a miracle. Because Jesus will die. You can go free. free. And that is the gospel. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good. That we might go at last to heaven. Saved by His precious blood. As Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. If you are a Christian this morning, He was your substitute. He bore the punishment for your sin on that tree. Like Barabbas, you were guilty and you deserved to die. But He stepped in and bore that punishment for you. And if you're not a Christian, and if you never become a Christian, then one day you'll have to bear that punishment for yourself. That is essentially the gospel. Either Christ has died in your place and borne your punishment, or one day you'll have to bear that punishment for yourself. And that's why it's so important that you seek Christ now, that you give yourself to Christ now, that you believe in Christ now, that you believe that He was your substitute, that He took your place and that by faith in Him, you will not be condemned. As Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 1, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The release of Barabbas. The innocence of Jesus. The weakness of Pilate. The release of Barabbas. Fourth thing I want you to notice is the fickleness of the crowd. In an attempt to release Jesus, Pilate appeals to the crowd over the heads of the Jewish establishment. Look at verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. That phrase, and the people, is significant. The chief priests and the rulers, they were, were the Sanhedrin. They were the representatives of the Sanhedrin. They already had condemned Jesus to death. The people were the wider population. Pilate understood the impure motives of the Jewish establishment because Mark tells us that he knew it was out of envy that the chief priests acted. So Pilate pulled a fast one. He knew Jesus was popular with the people. Only a few days before they had welcomed him into Jerusalem by waving palm branches, throwing their coats uh, on the ground as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And so he decides to open up his appeal to the wider population over the heads of the leadership. And for a moment, a brief moment, he becomes a Democrat. He thought he could use the general population as a buffer between Jesus and the murderous intentions of the leaders of Jerusalem. But he made a huge miscalculation. When he offered the people a choice between Barabbas and Jesus, he assumed that they would choose Jesus rather than a dangerous criminal. That the choice would be straightforward. He reckoned that the people wouldn't choose a criminal and let him live and wouldn't want Jesus to die. But what he didn't reckon on was that he himself was a hated representative of Rome. And if he said black, they would say white. And if uh, he said stop, they would say go. And if he said Jesus, they would say Barabbas. But they would rather side with any Jew than any Roman, with one of the hated representatives of the Sanhedrin than with the hated Roman governor. He had indicated that he wanted Jesus 
And to be honest, that was the kiss of death. They were never going to choose anybody that he recommended. There was a a deep-seated resentment of Rome in general and a deep-seated resentment of Pilate in particular. And so the people, we're told in verse 18, when presented with the choice of Jesus or Barabbas, cry out, away with this man, release to us Barabbas. And when he asked what he should do with Jesus, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Not put him to death. Not kill him, kill him. They demand crucifixion. They want him tortured as well. As that lovely hymn puts it, a murderer they save, the prince of life they slay. They chose a lawbreaker instead of a lawkeeper. They chose a man of war rather than the prince of peace. They chose a guilty man instead of a godly man. They chose a man whose life was ruined and ravished by sin rather than the sinless Son of God. What a choice that people made. Verse 23, but they were urgent, passionate, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And notice how verse 25 ends. Uh, He delivered Jesus over to their will. Whose will? The will of the people, the will of the Jews, the general population of Jerusalem. Now, do you see the fickleness of the crowd? Some commentators like Warren Wearsby try to say that this was a, a different crowd than the crowd that welcomed him in to Jerusalem on the Sunday before, Palm Sunday. Uh, that those who said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was a different cry to those who shouted, crucify him, crucify him. But I, I think that's wrong. The cry that gathered that night to who Pilate appe- appealed were there for two reasons. They had gathered to see what uh, would happen to Jesus. It's hard to imagine that the people who had welcomed him in as the king on the Sunday before wouldn't be interested or would be so disinterested that they wouldn't gather again to see the outcome of his trial. And secondly, they gathered because they knew it was the custom to release a prisoner. And I guess they wondered if Jesus would be released. To argue that they were two different groups, I feel, is not to do justice to the gospel records and is trying to make more of the triumphal entry than it actually was. So here you have people who initially greet the Lord as king, and then in less than a week, demand that he dies. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Crucify him, crucify him. And the lesson for that is very simple. People are fickle. People make great claims, make great professions, They can speak and testify and say all manner of good things about Jesus and they can turn on a hitman. And ultimately, the test of true saving faith is perseverance, that they carry on and they persevere in their love and loyalty to Jesus. These people who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem were the very people who demanded his crucifixion. So the innocence of Jesus, the weakness of Pilate, the release of Barabbas, the fickleness of the people, the last thing, and very quickly, is the purpose of God. We can go over this and analyze it again and again. We look to this great miscarriage of justice and we say to ourselves, if only, if only Judas hadn't betrayed him. 
If only Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, had stood up and, and been counted and spoken in the defense of Jesus. If only Pilate had the courage of his convictions and released him. If only Herod had have, uh, had have released him. If only the disciples had have been in the crowd that day and they could have shouted out, release Jesus, release Jesus, and maybe it would have been infectious and, and um, motivated and, and, and uh, influenced the crowd. If only, if only, if only. But you see, to argue like that is to miss the point. Because behind all of this is the overarching uh, purpose of God. His plan was not thwarted in the crucifixion of Jesus. His plan was unfolded in the crucifixion of Jesus. Verse 25 ends with the words, He delivered Jesus over to their will. And of course that's true. Pilate surrendered Jesus to the will of the people. But in surrendering him to the will of the people, he was surrendering him to the will of God. Peter understood that because on the day of Pentecost, 40 days later, he stood up and he says, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked hands, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. It was an act of appalling wickedness to crucify the sinless Son of God. But it was part and plan of the purpose of God. That's why Revelation describes him as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's why the Old Testament prophets not only uh, announced the death of Jesus, uh, uh, predicted the death of Jesus, but they announced the death of Jesus. That's why Jesus predicted his death, that he was going up to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And that's why even at his trial, Jesus says to Pilate in John 19 and verse 11, when, when Pilate says to him, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or crucify you. And Jesus says, you would have no power over me if it wasn't given to you from above. That all of this, the mockery and the great travesty of justice was part uh, uh, of the plan and purpose of God. And the reason for that was that he would take our place, that he would be our substitute. That if ever men and women and boys and girls were to be forgiven, a substitute had to be found, a sacrifice had to be made, and the wrath of God had to be satisfied. And so Jesus came into our world, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. He lived a life that we could never live, a life that pleased his Father perfectly. And he goes as an innocent man to the cross, and God pours out his wrath on him. If you, if you imagine for a moment that this is us with this great weight of sin that we're carrying that deserves the, the wrath and the judgment and the anger of God. But Jesus came in and he took our sin in his body and the anger of God was poured out upon him that we might be set free. Just like Barabbas, we are released because he has died in our place. When we come to Him, when we believe in Him, when we know that He has died in our place, we are forgiven and not condemned. Do you believe that? 
Are you trusting and resting in Jesus? Come on to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That relief that Barabbas experienced when he heard that you've been set free is the the, 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 the sense of release and joy that we feel when we know that our sin has been taken from us. The innocence of Jesus, the weakness of Pilate, the release of Barabbas, the fickleness of the Jews, and the purpose of God. Amen.